Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke, Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at a particular passage. It's actually the same story that's in Matthew chapter 20, and it's also in Mark chapter 10, but I'm going to focus on Luke's account. Now, I like to say this just so people will understand. You say, well, do these things contradict each other? When you look at the Gospels, you have the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and sometimes they don't seem to to jive together. What's going on? Well, let me help you out, okay? For anybody that watches football or sports or basketball, yeah, they have an instant replay and they're trying to figure out if something was real or not real. Was it a catch or not a catch? And they look at the same play from different perspectives. The play's still the same play, right? It's just a different angle to look at it to get a little bit more details. That's the best way I can explain the four synoptic gospels. They're all telling the story of Jesus, Jesus' life. They're just giving us a different angle in which to look at it. And so we're going to look at this angle out of Luke, Dr. Luke, who is a physician. If you were to think about Luke and his gospel, his central theme throughout his gospel is people. If you look at it, he talks about Jesus coming off the mountain, and he looked over at the city, and he saw the people, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And the reason why he was so consumed with people is because Luke was a physician. And if you know anybody that's in the medical field or a physician, I know a lot of our people have done so much, especially this last year and a half with the things we went through with COVID, you can't be in the medical field and not love people. So Dr. Luke, who God inspired to write this gospel called Luke, was all consumed with people. And he's going to answer a question for us here in just a minute that I believe in launching Christmas at Crossroads is probably the question that you've been asked the most in the last week and a half to two weeks. Like there's one question that everybody gets hit right now that it just, it wears you out. Now before I get to that question, let me help you out. This series is going to be a really fun series. We are going to be taking an amazing story that Dickinson wrote that's the Christmas Carol. And we're going to start talking about that. And it's been done through different movies. My favorite movie version is with Bill Murray called Scrooged. And I love the way that he's done that. I love at the end the song that's out of the 80s and Higher Love. And I mean, I just like, I get all in my feels. I'm like, this is good stuff. But it's this whole concept of of this man who wants something out of Christmas. The problem is he doesn't know what he wants. And so he ends up having these three spirits. Now, don't mishear me. It's a fictional story, okay? I'm not telling you that there's three spirits of Christmas, all right? But it's this story of these three spirits that visit him that help him to identify what is it that he really wants out of Christmas and out of his life. Because, see, listen, I believe that's the question today. By showing of hands, how many of you have been asked in the last two weeks, What do you want for Christmas? Raise your hand if you've been asked that question. For those of you that didn't raise your hand, I'm so sorry. You don't have anybody that loves you. Let me call you. I want to know what you want for Christmas. Not that I'm going to get it for you, but, you know, just like everybody else, it's like, what do you want? And how many of you, when they said, what do you want for Christmas, made this comment? I have no idea. Yes. Isn't that part of it? Notice the older you get. Now, you don't ever ask that question to an eight-year-old, do you? Like, like my eight-year-old, like, she's already got a list. She's like, hey, Daddy, I'm just trying to help you out. Like, I, I've already got my letter to Santa, and I got my list for you. Like, here's what I want. And I'm like, like, there's like 40 things on this. Like, can you narrow it down to, like, I don't know, one? 
You know, like what do you, like, like when you're a child and you think about what you want and you think about Christmas and you think Christmas is the greatest holiday because at Christmas time, I can go visit this amazing man with a white beard and a red suit. And here's the premise. I tell him what I want and he's obligated to bring it to me. In fact, we have seen through different situations parents that do amazing things to be Santa's helper to make sure that whatever that child had said they wanted, that somehow it showed up. And here's the question for you. If I was to ask you, what do you want in life? I wonder if you've spent any time thinking about it just like, what do you want for Christmas? Like, I think a lot of us get petitioned with the aspect of, what do you want for Christmas? And especially as you get older, you start going, what do you mean what I want? Like, what? I'm typical American dream, right? Like, this isn't a negative, this is a positive. But if I want something, I usually go get it. You know, it's like, well, what do you want? I don't know. I've already got what I want. Like, it's not that I don't have things that I want. It's just that the things that I want, I've already gotten those. And so to come up with a list, it's like the older I get, the more functional my gifts are. You know, what do you want? Uh, wiper blades. <laughs> you know, it's like, really? You know, yeah. You know, what do you want? I don't know. Uh, money, you know, gift cards, <laughs> food, you know, gift certificates. Different. You know, it's like, what do you, you don't know. Because the older you get, you get more practical, right? And I think that our attitude towards Christmas and our attitude towards life if we're not careful, we end up in the same situation. Listen to this very carefully. The reality is, is we don't have any idea what we want because we stop realizing what we need. Like rather than asking you what you want, and we're going to get to that question, Jesus literally asked that question in the story we're about to read. But can I ask you a very poignant question? In this life, what do you need? We're going to answer that today, and we're going to get into God's Word. If you will, turn with me to Luke, Luke chapter 18. If you can turn on your tablets, on your phone, or in your paper Bible, that would be awesome. I encourage you, if you have a paper Bible, to write in it, to write in the notes, do different things. If you don't have a great Bible, hey, if we got a deal for you, out there in the back, I believe is the greatest study Bible that's been given. It's been put together. It's about six, seven years old now. It's called the ESV Study Bible. I love that whole translation in Bible. It's an amazing Bible, and you can get them. I think we sell them for like 40 bucks. They're normally like $100, but you just give them $40. You're like, I don't have $40. Just go get a Bible. Just go take one. Well, don't take it. Just say, hey, may I have one? And they'll give you one, and we'll cover it. Don't worry about it. But in your Bibles, let's read an amazing, amazing story that starts in verse 35. It says, as he drew near to Jericho, he was Jesus, talking about Jesus, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And a hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what he meant, uh, what this meant. Now, the story is also in Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 20, and also in Mark 10. Uh, Mark 10. And if you look at those accounts, in Matthew, it talks about two blind men were sitting and in Mark chapter 10, it actually gives the name of one particular blind man that is going to be healed. 
Now, to set this story, I'm going to help you out because this is one of the stories that some people will say there's a contradiction in God's word. But if you study God's word, you realize real quickly God's word never contradicts itself. It's the inspired word of God. It's infallible. And so if you to give you a little heads up, it almost looks like one scripture is talking about as he was drawing near to Jericho. And another one was talking about as he was leaving Jericho going towards Jerusalem. And the question is, well, which one was it? This sounds like it's contradicting each other. Can I tell you a real quick just biblical theology because I want you to be grounded? The reality is, is the Jericho that it was talking about in which this is taking place, there's a new Jericho that's been identified. This isn't the Old Testament Jericho like what you're thinking in the Bible because that had started to decline. It's kind of like Cleveland. You have the old Cleveland, and now you have the Paul Huff Cleveland. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, here's the old mill, and this is where everybody used to go, and this was the hub of everything you do. Now you have Paul Huff. It's still the same Cleveland, but the city has kind of made its dispersed or moved away to different locations. The same thing is taking place. The journey, the pilgrimage in which people would take in going to Jerusalem, they would still go from Jericho to Jerusalem, but this pathway had started to change, and because of the Greek influence and the things that were going on, there was this newer Jericho that had, had popped up that was still a part of Jericho, but it would kind of be like on the on the east side, you know, it's like a little bit further out, and that's where you would go. So that's what's going on here. And it would be very common, a little bit of backdrop, for people to be there on this, on this road to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was a very common place for people to take a pilgrimage because that's where the temple was. And they were going to the temple, and if you're going to the temple, then you're carrying stuff with you for sacrifice. It's a part of the Jewish Old Testament custom. So for a beggar to be on this road would be very common because you knew that the people that were traveling, they had goods with them, usually extra, so that they may have a little bit of extra to be able to give to you as well. Now, what was uncommon is you wouldn't have this large, large, large crowd. You would have a a crowd that would gather, but not to the degree of what was going on with Jesus of Nazareth as he's approaching these blind men. See, you would have a group that would travel because it was not safe to travel by yourself because just like there's going to be extra goods that you're carrying to Jerusalem, along with that comes this this steep climb going through the mountains and the cliffs, and it would be very common for robbers and different people to hang out. So that way they would try to get you to stop, and when you stopped, then they could jump out and take your goods. They could steal. They could mug you. So you would travel in a group, but not this large of a group. Especially you wouldn't travel in a group and bring all the attention to yourself. It was one of those things that you just wanted to get through it. Best way to describe this. Don't mishear what I'm saying. Okay, I want to say this very carefully. But it's like when I travel through Atlanta. I love Atlanta. I don't feel worried about Atlanta. I love Atlanta. That's great Atlanta. The best thing about Atlanta is when it's in my rearview mirror. Because I will get to Atlanta and my GPS is like, you've got five miles. I'm like, sweet. And you're going to be there for an hour. And I'm like, am I walking? Like, what just happened? You know, and so all of a sudden, there's so much that's going on that it can get discombobulated, and you can get lost, and you can have different things that are going on. Same thing's taking place here. So you have these two blind men who are sitting. It's not uncommon for them to sit there who are begging, but something is taking place that they've never experienced before. There is a commotion that has got their attention. There is something that has made them go, wait a minute, what's happening Now, here's an issue. Listen, have you ever been in a place in your life where you knew there was something more, but you couldn't see it? 
Have you ever been in a time in your life that you could, you could sense there's like there's this, this commotion, there's, this, there's something more coming, there's, there's something that's greater. I just can't see it. Well, congratulations, you're in the same seat that these two blind men were. They knew in their spirit, and they could tell by their senses that though they couldn't physically see it because they were blind, they knew there was something amazing that was passing by, and they were trying to figure out what it is. I believe for a lot of us, that's how we're entering this Christmas season. I am your Clark Griswold. Yes, I've already watched Christmas Vacation. My heart was warm so much. Last night, I went to the bedroom, and my wife is watching Christmas Vacation. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this may be the greatest moment of my life. Because my wife doesn't watch Christmas Vacation. If you talk to her, she would say, I don't have to watch it. I've lived it for 24 years. You know, and I'm like, you're welcome. And we're sitting there, and we're laughing, and we're joking around, and we're getting in our Christmas fields, and we're like, this is so sweet. Oh, this is, you know, I mean, everything about it, right? I wonder, first question, I wonder if during this Christmas season, when you're passing through people's lives, I wonder if it makes them ask, what do you have? Like for all of you that went Black Friday shopping and you've got different holiday things coming up, I wonder if when we go through people's lives, I wonder if when we come through, not that we call a commotion, like that's me, I'm like, hey, we, commotion, not a commotion, but I wonder if we, we create a spirit of curiosity. I wonder if the way we live our lives and the way that we love God and the way that we love people, if it makes people, even though they may not actually see it, that they have a sense that there's something going on, I want to know what it is. That's what's going on in this story. The second part, keep going, verse 37. When they asked and inquired what was going on, they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he, and his name is Bartimaeus, he actually cried out. And listen to what he said. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Second point that I want you to get today is you got two type of people that really are going to, well, actually three, three types of people that you're going to find in your life and that you're going to be during this Christmas season. You got people that get involved and they make things better. They make people get curious. They're like, oh, this is great. Like you have a Christmas party and you want these people here because you know if they're there, it's going to be fun, right? My question to you is, are you one of those people? You're like, well, no, not really. Well, then be one of those people. You say, well, that's not my personality. I didn't ask you about your personality. I don't care what your personality is. When you get involved, you should make things better. You say, well, that seems kind of mean. I'm not being mean. I'm being frank. There's a big difference. When you walk in the room, you should make things better. Why? Because you have something that makes a difference. But the second thing is you're going to have people that you're going to see in your life that if you're not careful, they're going to have a need and the people that are celebrating who Jesus is is so caught up in celebrating Jesus that they're not willing to take the time to value the people that have a need. Like, that's what's so amazing to me about what you guys did with Legacy Sunday. With everything that's going on, God's not calling us to be this amazing, like, woohoo, our own little party. Hey, this is great. We're celebrating Jesus. I don't really care what you have. I know that you're blind. I know that you have struggles. I know that you have needs. But quit interrupting what we're doing. We're trying to celebrate Jesus here. You're interrupting what we're doing. 
And unfortunately, that's the reason why most churches are plateaued and declining. Because they're saying with their mouth they love God and they love people, but with their actions, they're rebuking them and telling them to be quiet. Like, what would it look like if, if you all of a sudden started going to people, and rather than waiting for them to tell you what their needs are, what would it look like if you went up to them and said, hey, man, do you need something? Like, rather than driving by that guy that, that's at holidays, and there's getting to be more and more people, and they have a sign, they have a struggle, they have something going on, and they're needing some help, and rather than immediately going, oh, you know, these people, they don't need any help, I'll watch this. You all heard the story, you know, this guy's going to go over here and get in a Cadillac and go home to his, you know, 4,000-square-foot home, and he's just doing this to me. Stop. And rather than rebuking, how about we do what Jesus did and we recognize? Because watch what happens. It's a really, really cool moment in this story. He says, and those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. In other words, he just got louder. And he said, son of David, have mercy on me. And then listen to what Jesus did. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, now listen to this question. What do you want me to do for you? See, the same question that I started this message out with about Christmas. I said, you got all these people that are coming to you and they're saying, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Do you know that God himself has the same question for you? You're like, really? God cares about Christmas? I'm not talking about Christmas. I'm talking about your life. I want to ask you a very real personal question. If the clouds broke, the trumpet sound, this roof went flying off, and all of a sudden, I don't know what it would look like, a mist, an angel, a bright light, whatever it is. Of course, all of us, we would, I, I, I'd pass out. I'm just telling you, I'd be like, mm, sniper. I don't know what I would do. But then Jesus said, hey, I'll do whatever you want. What do you want me to do for you? What would you tell him? Like, I think for most of us, just like we don't have any idea what we really want for Christmas because we don't really know what we need, I think we would have no idea what to tell Jesus what we want. Like, if Jesus was to stand here and say, what is it? You want me to do for you. Uh, well, um, uh, uh, peace on earth. Um, I, I don't, I don't uh, financial stability. Um, I, I mean, uh, patience. Uh, to be able to love well. Like, it's amazing to think about that question and think about it. It's such a simple question, right? If Jesus was to ask you, what is it you want him to do for you? But it's like, I, I have no idea. And the reason why we have no idea is because just like with Christmas, after you do them for so many years, you forget what you really need. I believe we stop realizing what God has to offer us, and we forget what we need God in our lives for. See, I want us to kick off this whole series with you dwelling on this one question for the next 30 days. I want you at the end of 30 days, at the end of this series, when we sit at our Christmas Eve service, for you to no longer say, I, I, I have no idea what I want God to do in my life. I want you to be able to say, I know exactly what I want you to do. 
Well, if you were to read in this story, he tells him exactly what he wants him to do. It's amazing. He said to him, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And then catch this. If you have a paperback, underline it. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. See, I think for a lot of us, the reason why we don't really know what we want is we, we've bought into this. It's not a lie. It's just something that it doesn't help us get to where we want to go. We've bought into this concept that, that I don't really know what I want God to do in my life, but I know what I want God to do in everybody else's life. And can I give you a very real premise today to start thinking? God wants for you what he wants for everybody else. God wants you to model his attributes just like he wants his attributes in everybody else. Like I know some people would say, well, God, I want whatever you want. Well, let me write down what I, here's what I wrote down, some of the things that God wants for you. You ready? He wants you to have life. Scripture says, I came to give you life and give you life more abundantly. So if you really want what God wants, then my question is, what are you pursuing? Are you pursuing life more abundantly or are you pursuing your own stuff? You know what else he wants? He wants obedience. You say, oh, man, here we go with the legalism. No, it's not legalism. It's called obedience. He wants you to be obedient. He loves people to be obedient. He wants you to be relational. In the beginning, he created Adam and Eve, and he created them for one reason, for a relationship. In fact, when we broke that relationship, he immediately started to restore that relationship and set into motion the reason why we celebrate Christmas, because Jesus came in the form of man. God took the form of man in the birth of a baby named Jesus of Nazareth, and so we could have a relationship with God. Another thing that he wants for you is he wants intimacy. He wants to intimately know you. The amazing thing is, is he already knows you more than you know yourself. What he really wants is for you to get to know him. Another thing that I wrote down that he really, really wants is he desires for you to have the things of your heart. Scripture is very clear that he says, I want to give you the desires of your heart. The problem is, is that you got some stinking desires. He wants your heart to be an overflow of who you are, not an overflow of what you think you may be. Another thing that God really wants for you is he wants you to multiply your life. And then the last thing that I wrote down that I think God wants for you is he wants for you that God himself would be enough. You know, this is a very simple message with a very simple point. I think for most of us, we spend Christmas trying to find that perfect gift, right? Like we try to ask and and we also have our significant others and our friends and our family, and they're like, you know what? I've been telling you all year what I want if you just listen. Isn't that the worst feeling ever? It's like, well, I dropped a hint back in February. What? It's, it's November. I don't, like, give me another hint, you know? Well, I said something, you know, and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, I didn't catch it, I didn't catch it. And I think sometimes we, we take our, our earthly relationships and and here's the issue, right? The reason why we struggle with the ones that we love when it comes to giving them a gift is because we have put so much on that gift that we want them to open that gift and to feel valued, to feel appreciated, to feel noticed, 
to feel loved. Like we want them to open that gift and be like, he, he listened. It's exactly what I've always wanted. Like he knows me. She knows me. And some of you right now are about to throw up on yourself. You're like, why are you doing this? Like, now I've got to go figure out, like, like I don't know what I'm going to do for Christmas. Now you've just put so much pressure on me. Now you just told me, Pastor, that come that day when they open up that gift, like what, like, you know, a candle, sweet. I've got a hundred of those. Like, we want to know that somebody was thinking about us, right? We wanted to know that it, it wasn't just something easy. We want to know that somebody didn't run out at 10 o'clock on Christmas Eve, after the Christmas Eve service, to run and grab something going, oh my goodness, Christmas is the next morning, I still ain't got nothing. I've got to go get something. Praise the Lord for Cracker Barrel, because they have a little store. And they have candles. And a bath bomb. Like, I'm putting all you guys under the bus. If you get a candle and a bath bomb, I'm selling you out. Everybody knows what that means. That means you didn't think about it until 10 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Like the point of the message today is one simple point. Are you living a life of reaction or are you actually thinking about what God has for you and what you want? Now I want to chase a rabbit to help some of our spouses in the room. Some of the biggest issues that we have when it comes to our amazing loved ones is they're terrible at telling us what they want. Well, that'd just be too much. Well, I don't want to. Well, I just, it's not about me. Focus. Just tell me what you want. Like you would be shocked at how big of a priority you are to your significant other and how much they would love to give you exactly what you want if you would just simply tell them what you want. All the guys right now are like, that's right, tell them, pastor. That's what I'm talking about. But we don't know how to voice that, do we? Because if we were to get honest today, we don't know what we want. There was a time in our life that we had hopes and dreams and all this stuff going on. And, and all of a sudden, we were 15 years old, and it was Christmas. And we blinked. And we're married with children, and, 40, and here comes another Christmas. And rather than living intentionally and going and getting the things that God desires for our life, we have lived a life that's based out of reaction. Like we're like a hamster on a wheel. Here's how you know when you're a hamster on the wheel. You've made this phrase. I can't believe it's Christmas again already. You're a hamster on a wheel. It seems like I just now put the Christmas tree up. Either you're a hamster on your wheel or you keep your Christmas up till July. But life has a way of not stopping for anybody. And I want you to know 
that just like this amazing story where God looks at this blind man and says, dude, tell me what you want me to do, that that's where you're sitting this morning. God wants you to tell him, this is what I want you to do in my life. Now, for some of you, you're going to struggle with this concept. Because you've been told, I'm not to tell God nothing. He's God of the universe. He orchestrates everything. I'm just to submit. That's not the way it works. God wants to provide godly things for your life. And he wants you, just like with your significant other, to tell your significant other what you want. He also wants you to petition him on a regular basis with things that you desire and what you want. And over the next three weeks, I'm going to identify three amazing things each week that I believe that God wants for you. And by the time we hit to Christmas Eve, I believe that all of us are going to be in a better situation to say, okay, for the first time in my life, I know what I want out of this thing called life. Because when I look around the room, when I look in the mirror shaving every day, you know what I see? I see a guy that's living out of reaction to life rather than seizing it. And it's time for us to stop and say, what is it that I want? What is it I want Jesus to do in my life? And am I willing to do those things to receive it? If you're encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.